For what have I done to you? For what have I done to you? Those are the words of Elijah that he speaks to Elisha in our Old Testament reading today that Elena read so beautifully. I can say that because I'm her mom. <laughs> our Old Testament reading recounts the calling of Elisha by Elijah. So let's take a closer look at that story this morning. Now before we do, we need a little context here. Elijah has just come from the battle of the gods, if you will. He had just come from seeing the one true God on the top of the mountain come down and consume with fire his sacrifice. Whereas Team B from Baal, nothing. And so after this, it's the one true God, one, and Baal, zero. But that didn't sit well with the king. And so Elijah flees for his life and goes and hides in a cave, believing he is the only one left who believes in God. And he says this several times, Lord, I'm, I'm just the only one left. And so God appears to him. And I just love this, and I know most of us are familiar. God doesn't appear to him in an earthquake. He doesn't appear to him in a storm, but he appears to him in a gentle whisper and assures him, Elijah, you are not the only one left. And then he gives him a task to anoint two kings and a prophet, and that's Elisha. So that's where we are. So Elijah goes out and finds Elisha plowing. Elisha owns 12 yoke of oxen, that makes him a fairly wealthy man. And then Elijah goes up to him and throws his cloak over Elisha's shoulders. Now you have to understand, the cloak was possibly the most important piece of clothing at that time. You could use the cloak for a bed, you could use the cloak to sit on, you could use it as luggage, you could use it as surety for a debt, and you could also tear it to show that you were grieving. So, Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha to show that Elisha will be the successor, Israel's prophet. What I love then is Elisha runs after Elijah. He doesn't walk, he doesn't stroll. He runs after Elijah. And then, what does Elijah say, what have I done to you? Hmm. And so, what does Elisha respond with? He goes home, he takes his 12 yoke of oxen, he slaughters them, he takes all of his equipment, breaks it up, uses it as a fire to cook the oxen, and then he gives that oxen to the surrounding people. He kisses his mother and father goodbye, and off he goes. I think we understand the significance of him killing the animals and burning the equipment because that means his old life is done. He gives up his entire livelihood to become Elijah's apprentice. He was a wealthy man with 12 yoke of oxen, 
and presumably the equipment was his because he wouldn't burn it if it belonged to someone else. So that was it. So what then are we to make of Elijah's words? For what have I done to you? Because it sounds like Elijah is regretting the call upon Elisha's life. But that's not it. Elijah knows both the privilege and the challenges of being called by God. He was intimately acquainted with the one true God. And he knew there were going to be good things for Elijah and he knew there were going to be tough things for Elisha. So let's take a moment and look at some of the privileges that Elisha and you and I experience as followers and answerers of the call to God. And I love that it's Psalm 16 today. Those people who do this lectionary, they must know what they're doing, right? Verse five, verse five. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cut. You have made my lot secure. Security, isn't that one of human beings' basic needs? Because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Hmm. Surety, a place to stand that is firm. Because my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What a privilege to be filled with joy and to know that we have eternal life with God. Perhaps, however, in our New Testament reading, in our epistle reading, Paul tells us, as he tells the Galatians, the greatest privilege of all. In Christ, we have freedom. Freedom. Now, as Paul tells us, it's not freedom to do whatever we want, not freedom to go back and be slaves to the life that we used to have. No, it is freedom to have cultivated in us, and, and I love this, the fruits of the Spirit. Now listen, listen to these delicious fruits that God will cultivate in us if we just answer his call. Love, joy, peace. We can all use peace. Patience, we can all use a little more patience Kindness, doesn't this world need more kindness? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the character traits that are in the one who calls us, and these are the character traits that he wants to establish in us. But what does Jesus call us away from? And Elena read that list. It's a very, very long list. I'm just going to highlight three that I see every time I turn on my computer and look at the news. Hatred. Jesus calls us away from hatred into love. Discord. Jesus calls us away from discord and into peace. Fits of rage. Jesus calls us away from fits of rage 
and into self-control. Hatred, discord, fits of rage, as my granddaughter Hazel will say, yuck, that's disgusting. And she pronounces every syllable. That's nasty fruit. We want the tasty fruit of the Spirit. This is the life and the privilege that God has called us to. Now that's the fun part. The privileges that God has called us to. How about the challenges? How about the challenges? There is a challenge. There are challenges in the call that Jesus puts upon our life. Let's face it. Elijah, Elisha faced challenges, almost losing their lives. David, who wrote the psalm, the challenges he faced. Paul, beaten, stoned, imprisoned. Those are the challenges that Paul faced, and also Jesus, of course. And this, our gospel, talks about the final challenge that Jesus faces. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen there. And he has take, taken this time to talk with his followers about the challenges that they can expect. Now understand, these are his followers that he's talking to. He's talking to people like you and me. He's not talking to sort of would-be seekers, if you will. He's talking to those who have committed their life and they are walking with him to Jerusalem. He warns them of his impending suffering. He warned them twice. How many times do we have to hear? What is it, seven times or something? So twice, they have confessed him as Messiah. Three of them have seen him transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I, I learned moving to the south that the phrase, bless their heart, means something entirely different. So bless their heart, the disciples hadn't a clue. They hadn't a clue of what was going on. And so Jesus begins to tell them on this final journey what the challenges are of following him. The first one, and I'm embarrassed when I read this because I can't tell you the number of times I've said this myself. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I mean, how, all for Jesus, I surrender. How many times we've said that? And Jesus says to him, if you follow me, you're not going to be like that little fox cozy in his den or that pretty bird who's she's all comfortable in her nest, okay? Jesus tells this first follower, count the cost. There are challenges you are going to face. Now Jesus' second word, I'm sorry, Jesus' words to the second man, they sound harsh, don't they? Let the dead bury their dead. But we need to understand, in all probability, this man's father wasn't dead yet. It's not like he was on death's door. If, if I can uh, give an example, maybe. I know a lot of times in recent years, people who are getting married, young couple, they're going to get married, and they know they're going to get married sometime in the future. But okay, let's finish college first before we get married. Okay, we're going to finish college. Let's both get really good jobs 
before we get married. Okay, we're going to get really good job. Let's buy a house, you know, before we get married. There are all these things that are in a row. You know they're going to get married. This man knew eventually his father was going to die. But there is a delay. And they may be good reasons for a delay. But this follower at this point wanted to wait until everything was in order. His father had passed. All of that was done and then he would follow Jesus. I think the point that Jesus is making, or one of the points he's making is, there's a moment in time. There's a moment in time when God may speak to you, and at that moment in time, you need to answer. Because if you don't answer at that moment in time, that moment in time may just pass, pass you by. Finally, the third man, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now I'm pretty sure, I don't know, that not many people here have ever plowed land. But in my mind I'm thinking the plow, you know, you hold on and then it's got that blade and the oxen are in front. And I love that he uses this since we're talking about Elisha, the Old Testament reading. And as you're plowing, if you're looking back, you're going this way, you're going that way, you are not going to plow a straight line. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You can't continue to look in the past. You must look forward. So here we have it. Jesus telling his followers, there comes a time when you may have to leave the comforts of your home, let go of the doorpost, and move into uncharted waters. Those are the challenges, or some of the challenges, of the call that Jesus puts in our life. And, and what is, again, bless their hearts, the disciples did exactly what Jesus told them not to do. After the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, what do they do? They go fishing. They go back to what they knew. And it wasn't until Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit empowers them, that they begin their true work of spreading the gospel all around the world. For what have I done to you? I often wonder, Father Alex and Jody, if those persons, and I didn't know he was going to be here. This is perfect. If those persons who nominated you, or the bishops at the College of Bishops who know what the privileges and the challenges are of being a bishop, if they ever thought, for what have I done to Alex? And for what have I done to Jody? Right? Because the call on your life is clear. And you will experience the privileges and the challenges of being the bishop of our diocese. And so where does that leave the rest of us this morning? I love that Father Michael this morning said, good morning servants. It's as if he knew what I was going to preach about. <laughs> because... We are indeed servants of Christ. 
We have been called. The staff and the vestry are prayerfully working on what their call is. And so I'm going to ask all of you here the very same question. What has Jesus, as followers of Jesus, laid on your heart to do? Is there a ministry or community service that you are interested in? Are you called to the prayer ministry? Are you called to help with the youth? Are you called to serve on the altar as a lector, chalice bearer, acolyte in the altar guild? There are so many opportunities to walk out your calling here at Servants of Christ. Are you studying something new that you'd like to share in a Bible study? Or would you like to learn more about your faith in our catechism or in our Anglicanism 101? Whatever it is, I'd like you all, all of us, to prayerfully consider what the calling is on our heart. What has God now asked us to do in this time and in this place? And I'd like to close with a prayer. And if you feel comfortable, I'd like you to turn to page 673 in your Book of Common Prayer. This is called a covenant prayer. And this is by John Wesley, who lived and died an Anglican priest. Don't let anybody tell you any different. And as you look at it, and if you feel comfortable, I'd like you to pray this along with me. And I even like the old language because it makes it seem more real. Okay? I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee and brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.